I want to say thank you to you as you partner with us in this, as you, you pray for us and, and support us, and you have no idea how encouraging those things are. And so we, um, we thank you for that. If I can, I'd like to share uh, one prayer request with you. It's related to my wife. Um, if you got our last newsletter, then you know that uh, her cancer is back. Uh, for those of you who don't know, she was diagnosed with cancer about a year before we got married. And uh, then we walked with, through cancer for about six years of surgeries and radiation treatments and side effects and a bunch of unpleasant things. And then for the last nine years or so, we, we thought this was behind us, and, and now it's back. And so I just ask you to pray with us as we, uh, as we walk through this. I have four prayer requests um, related to this, if you can just jot these down. The first is, is to pray for wisdom, uh, just that we would know best how to proceed with this, how to sort through all the medical decisions. Um, there are some more treatments and options available to us now than uh, 10 years ago when we dealt with this. So the first prayer request is wisdom. Uh, the second is just uh, for the extra travel. We are in the States for two months, and every half a week to a week, we move to a new place. And to try and be in one place for a lot of medical appointments means a lot of extra travel of going back to those things. And so just the extra travel that gets added to our schedule as a result of this. Uh, the third request is for our children. We, we've walked through this before, and I think we have a good grasp on how to deal with it, but uh, it's, it's a new thing to shepherd our children through this. And so just pray for them as, as they struggle to understand cancer, and everybody they know who's had cancer has died from it, and, and so it's just um, it's a challenge in that regard. And then the fourth thing is just pray for endurance, that we would remain under the trials that the Lord has placed into our lives and that we would honor him um, it's like I say, we know how to respond, but it doesn't make it easy to respond the right way. And so just that we would continue to honor the Lord with that. So um, with that said, let me just go ahead and, and go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I, I think um, just of all the people that have even talked to me since this first service this morning, and just all the hurt and pain and challenges that are going on in people's lives. Well, what we are dealing with is, is not unique. Uh, the cancer and our circumstances might be unique, but it's common for people to suffer and to go through things that uh, are unpleasant. And I just pray for all of us, Lord, that you would use these circumstances to shape us, to mold us into the men and women of God that you want us to be. We pray that our thoughts would be fixed upon you through all of this. I think of the line that we just sung about earlier, that uh, though suffering may fill our lives, we're confident we're heirs with Christ. And I pray that that's the way we would generally think, that we would actually believe that and not just say it. Lord, as we turn to your word, teach us now. Help us to live differently as a result of our time with your word this morning. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, often I get asked, how, how do you deal with cancer? Right? It's new, it's back, and everyone says, how do you guys deal with it? How do you survive? 
And Colossians chapter 3 is a key text for dealing with things like this. And so turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. This will be our text this morning. Colossians chapter 3. If you live Colossians 3, then when you get the news that you have cancer or anything else for that matter, you will be able to handle it and deal with it. So let's look together at Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ. Now stop right there. Because that word then is the word therefore. It connects these verses to what's come before. And it reminds me of gymnastics. When I was a child, we used to watch the gymnastics on, on TV for the Olympics, right? The Olympics are coming up, and we'd, we'd watch gymnastics events and other events. And in gymnastics, there's this uh, event called the vault or something like that, where the way it works is you take this big running start, and then you jump on this springboard, and you plant your hands on this horse, and you use all of your momentum and all of your strength, and you launch yourself into the air. And you do backflips and twists and turns and all sorts of somersaults. And if it works right, you land on your feet and you stick your landing. Good score. Right? Colossians is structured like that. All right? The first two chapters are the running start of sound doctrine. And our, our text this morning is the springboard that launches you in to the last two chapters of practical application. Now, a lot of Paul's letters are structured like this. He begins with doctrine, and based on these doctrinal truths, he exhorts his readers to live differently. Application is wrapped around doctrine. Application is anchored in sound doctrine. And the person who tries to live a holy life without the doctrinal foundation, it's like trying to do a triple backflip without the running start. And it results in shallow Christianity. On the other hand, the person who just studies doctrine all the time and never puts it into practice, it's like taking a running start and then running right past the vaulting horse. And that results in stagnant Christianity. But the person who has the doctrinal foundation and then lives differently based upon that doctrine, the person whose application is rooted in sound doctrine, that is what we're striving for. That is strong Christianity. And so before we look at the springboard, let's back up real quick to the running start. Because Colossians is all about the sufficiency of Christ. The church in Colossae is inundated with false teaching. And Paul responds by telling them that Christ is sufficient. He is all you need. You don't need to go somewhere else or look somewhere else or have anything else. It's Christ and Christ alone. He tells them that Christ is God. Christ is the creator. He holds all things together. In Christ, you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You have been rescued from darkness and transferred into the kingdom of Christ. You have died to the old self and been made alive in Christ. 
Christ presents you to God holy and blameless and above reproach. And if you are a Christian, then all of this is true in your life and you need to live like it. Don't take the running start and run right by the vaulting horse. And the first way that we live the sufficiency of Christ in our lives is by dealing with your mindset. It all begins with the mind. And so look with me here. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, we see three fixations for keeping a Christian mindset. If you're taking notes this morning, this is my outline, right? Three fixations for keeping a Christian mindset. And I, I use the word fixations because we should be fixated. We should be obsessed, totally absorbed in this. Like a, a, a person in love on the eve of their wedding. Or a child with an iPod or a video game. Right? Absolutely captivated. If we focus on these realities day to day, then we will keep a heavenly mindset. We will be able to deal with the difficulties of life. And so let's begin by looking at the first one here. The first fixation is to focus on the priorities of Christ. And we see this in the first two verses. Focus on the priorities of Christ. Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Again, in verse 2, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And so here in these verses, there are, there are two commands. This is the main points of the text. The first, in the middle of verse 1, seek. In the second, verse 2, set your minds These commands, they're ongoing. You could translate this, keep on seeking. Keep on setting your minds. We are to be continually and habitually seeking the things above, setting our minds on the things that are above. The word seek, it means to desire, to strive for, to pursue, to center your interests on. Set your minds is to think about, to focus on, to concentrate. This is radically different from how I look for things in the fridge. I open the door. Hmm. I don't see the ketchup. Bethany, you see the ketchup? You know where the ketchup is? And she comes over and she squats down. And she moves some things aside and she picks stuff up and she goes, here it is. Did you even look for it? We are not simply to casually pursue. We are to be focused. We are to put forth effort, to be compulsive, to be captivated. By what? Look back at the text. Seek the things. What things? The things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on what? on things that are above, right? We are to think of the things that are above. These are heavenly realities, the apex of which is Christ himself. 
The focus of this text is the same as the focus of the book. It's Christ. I mean, look at this. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is. He's mentioned four times in these four verses. Verse 1. You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Verse 3. Your life is hidden with Christ. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears. You see the emphasis on the person of Christ? says that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This is the place of highest authority. This is a reminder of the supremacy of Christ. He is over all the angelic beings that the false teachers had become so captivated with. We need to seek the things that are above. Not just where the angels are. That's not high enough. We need to go to the apex of the created order where the creator himself is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, there's a, a contrast here. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And so we are to seek the heavenly over the earthly, the eternal over the temporal, the spiritual over the physical. This is not suggesting that it is wrong to seek things like eating and wearing clothes and making a living and going on vacation. We are just not to live as if those things are all that matter in life. We are to keep in mind the heavenly realm when we deal with the earthly one. We are to see everything in light of and against the background of eternity. The things that are above should be our priority. They should govern the way that we live and the way we deal with earthly things. Just as a compass always points north, so should the orientation of our heart be towards the things of God. Now here's the challenge. Because some things just happen to you. You may go to work and be doing a good job and being faithful with the tasks that you have, and your boss may come up to you and promote you. might not happen often, but it's possible, right? Or sometimes we say things like, oh, I fell in love. Well, how did it happen? I don't know. It just happened. But you never just fall into a medical degree. You never wake up one morning and find, hey, I'm I'm qualified to do heart surgery. You never just fall into the summit of Mount Everest. How to get a medical degree, to climb Mount Everest. These are things you have to be purposeful about. These are things that you have to be deliberate or determined or seeking or setting your mind on. An earthly mindset is something that just happens to us. Because we live here on earth, Right? Life's gravitational pull naturally directs your thoughts earthward. I have expenses. I have to pay my bills. And so I have to get a job because that's the way things work here on earth. We have medical or health problems, right? My back aches. I'm sick. I've got to go see a doctor because I have a fallen body, and that's because I'm here on earth. You turn on the news, and there's filth and garbage and sin because we're in a fallen world and that's the way it is on earth. 
But there's no weather channel for heaven. There's nothing on television. There's nothing in your bodies that naturally takes your thoughts heavenward. We need to seek for it. We need to set our minds on it. Because if you don't, then you will naturally neglect God's agenda and take up Satan's. That sound a little harsh? Turn over to Matthew chapter 16. It may sound a little harsh, but I think Matthew 16 will surprise you. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is addressing the disciples. He has a little dialogue with Peter. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now why, why would anyone want to go to a city where they knew they were going to suffer and they knew they were going to die? There is no earthly reason to go to Jerusalem. But there is a heavenly one. And Christ has his mind set on the things above, so much so that he doesn't care as much for his comfort or even his own life. In verse 22 here, Peter takes Jesus aside and he begins to rebuke him saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turns and says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. What? What? Why? Why would Jesus say this about one of his friends? Why would Jesus say this about one of his disciples? Why would Jesus say this about a believer? Look at the text. For, you could translate this, because you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Look, look how subtle this is. Because Peter is not an enemy of Jesus. Peter loves Jesus. But because he is focused on the things of man instead of the things of God, Jesus addresses him as Satan. Peter naturally adopts Satan's agenda. Satan does not want Jesus to go to Jerusalem. Satan does not want Jesus to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And Peter naturally adopts this agenda because his mind is not set on the things of God. Where is your mind this morning? What do you daydream about? Have you lifted your mind out of the gutter of this earth and into the heavenlies? What are you seeking after? Where does the compass of your life point? Is it oriented towards God? Or is there something in this world that's acting as a magnet, pulling you away from true north? What is the non-sin distraction? Listen to that. The non-sin distraction 
that is keeping you from pursuing the Lord wholeheartedly? A job? Home? Spouse? Children? Do you spend more time thinking about the things of this world than, say, how to use your, your spiritual gift in church? Are you passively drifting into Satan's agenda things that are above? Volitional choices to be continually setting your mind on the things that are above. Focus on the priorities of Christ. That's the first fixation that we see in this text. The first fixation for keeping a Christian mindset. The second is focus on your identity in Christ. We see this in verse 3. Focus on your identity in Christ. Back to Colossians. Chapter 3, verse 3. It says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. And again, this word for can be translated because. It's giving a reason. It's supporting those commands that we saw, right? Why should you seek the things that are above? Why should you set your mind on the things that are above? Because you have a from above life. He says here that you have died. And Paul is returning to something that he has discussed in detail in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 20, he says, We have died with Christ. Chapter 2, verse 12, we are buried with Christ. And then chapter 3, verse 1, we are raised or or co-resurrected with Christ. He's talking about our union with Christ. We are united with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You say, I don't remember dying and rising. And that's okay. Because, see, I have a power of attorney. And When he signs a document, it's legally binding as if I signed that document. He is my representative. His actions constitute mine. And so it is with Christ when he died and he rose. He did it and we were included. And this is an accomplished fact if you're a Christian. You look at the the past tense verbs in this text. Verse 3, right? You have died. Verse 1, you have been raised. At at the moment of conversion, we enter into a new dimension. We have died to the things of this world. We have died to the old life. And now we are alive to the things of Christ and spiritual realities. And we walk in the newness of life. Not only have we died, but it says your life is... Is hidden with Christ. And here Paul takes this idea of union one step further and basically says that we are incorporated into Christ. This is a major theme of the New Testament. Over a hundred times, the New Testament says that believers are in Christ. We are in Him. Galatians 3.27 says that we have been clothed with Christ, like putting on a jacket. Philippians 1.21 Paul says, to live is Christ. 
our identity is entirely wrapped up in Christ. Before I left for Malawi, I worked as an engineer. And I had an ID badge for the company that I worked for. And on my ID badge, it had my name, it had a picture of me, it had my employee number, and these little markings for what security clearances that I had. And when I put this ID badge on, I could go into buildings and computer labs, I could get access to classified documents, I'd go to meetings with customers and government officials, all because of this badge. Security never stopped me, they never told me I couldn't go places, I could go anywhere I needed to, I could get any information I wanted. Now suppose that you tried to do the same thing without the badge. Wouldn't work. Right? People would stop you and they'd say, excuse me, you're not allowed to go there. What are you doing? Right? You couldn't go into buildings. You couldn't get the information. In fact, security would escort you off the premises. Now, hypothetically, if I lent you my badge, right? and you looked like me, <laughs> then you would have access to everything I had access to. You would be able to go into buildings and get information. People would think that you're an engineer. Security would never stop you, all because of an ID badge. As Christians, we bear the ID badge of Jesus Christ. And with it comes a host of privileges. Ephesians 2.6 says that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1.3, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Romans 8.14, we are fellow heirs with Christ. But along with these blessings, we bear the name of Christ. In everything that we say, and everything that we do, we bear the name of Christ. We are wearing Christ's name tag. That's why they call us Christians. How are you representing Christ? How do you bear the name of Christ when you're at home? How do you bear the name of Christ when you're at work? How do you bear the name of Christ when you surf the web? How do you bear the name of Christ when you spend your money? Dare I ask, are you taking the Lord's name in vain by the way that you live? You see, there are, there are a host of behaviors and thoughts that are entirely appropriate for the children of this world, but not for the children of God. We have died to this world. We, the next time that you sin, that you're tempted to sin, you need to keep in mind, right? When you sin, you are dragging Christ's name into that. Don't do it. We have died to this world. We have died to the old way of life. Act like what you are. Focus on your identity in Christ. It's a second fixation for keeping a Christian mindset that we see in this text. The third is focus on your future with Christ. 
We see this in verse 4. Focus on your future with Christ. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now here we see another reason, another support for setting your mind on the things above. Why are we to seek things above? Why are we to set our mind on the things above? Because, number one, you have a from above life. And number two, you have a from above hope. All right? It says, when Christ appears, and here we're talking about his second coming. Christ has been raised. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. But one day he's coming back. He will return and he will manifest himself to everyone. And then look at this, right? When that happens, when Christ appears, it says, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's not just him in his glory, but he's sharing it with us. This is an incredible truth. And I I literally cannot wait for it. But don't overlook this other part here in the verse. Look back at the first part here. It says, Christ who is your life. Not Christ who gives us life. Not Christ who is who we live for. Not Christ who is a part of our life. But Christ who is our life. He is our all in all. Now listen very carefully to this. All right? We should not seek eternal life primarily so that we can go to heaven. I went away to college and I'd come back home. And not once did I come through that door and give the furniture a hug. I never hugged the door. Right? I wanted my mom to take care of me. I wanted my dad to talk to you. It was who was in the home that made the home so endearing. We should not seek eternal life primarily so that our sins can be forgiven or so that we can have some other spiritual blessing. If if I get upset with my wife, and she responds by giving me the cold shoulder, then I need to reconcile. But why? So that the feelings of guilt will go away? So that she'll cook me my favorite meal? No! I want my treasured bride back. I want the fellowship restored. John 17.3 says this, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We should seek eternal life because it means joy with God. As glorious as heaven is, and as glorious as our spiritual blessings are, it is the Prince of Glory that is the true treasure. We get to enjoy Him now and forever. You may have heard of of Polycarp. He was a disciple of the Apostle John. He lived during uh, Roman persecution. 
And he was arrested and brought before a governor and commanded to renounce Christ. And here's what he said. Here's how he responded, right? Uh, Polycarp, his face was set. He looked at the mob in the stadium. He waved his hands towards them and sighed, looked up to heaven and cried, Away with the godless. And the governor pressed him further. Cursed Christ, and I will set you free. And Polycarp replies, For 86 years I have served him. He has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And the governor persists and he says, Swear by the divinity of Caesar that Caesar is Lord. Polycarp answers, he says, If you vainly imagine that I will swear by the divinity of Caesar, hear plainly that I am a Christian. And the governor says, I have wild beasts. If you do not repent, I will throw you to the beasts. And Polycarp says, Send for them. For repentance from better to worse is not a change permitted for us. And the governor says, If you do not fear the wild beasts, I will have you burned alive with fire. And Polycarp says, You have threatened me with a fire that burns for a time and is soon extinguished. For you know nothing about the fire of judgment to come and the fire of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why do you delay? Bring what you will. If you faced martyrdom, would you respond like that? Is Christ your life? Are you in constant and daily communion with Him? Or are you more concerned about your behavior, following a set of rules? Why do you want to go to heaven? Is it because it's better than hell? This world is difficult and tough and there's suffering. I want to be done with it. Because you've lost a loved one and want to be reunited? Or do you want to be with Christ? Do you love the giver more than the gifts? What enters your mind when I say, Deathbed. You think, deathday. Deathday. Better than my birthday, better than my wedding day. I can't wait for deathday because then I get to see Christ and be with Him. Or is it going to be difficult for you to go because you have a vice grip on this world? Do you long for Christ's return? When was the last time you even thought about Christ's return? Focus on your future with Christ. When I began this message, I started by explaining that the first two chapters are the running start of sound doctrine, right? And this is the springboard that launches you into the practical application section of the last two chapters. Chapters three and four are all about your behavior. Because if your mind is set on the right things, then right behavior will follow. When I left for Malawi, it was a February. 
Malawi in February is uncomfortable. It's hot. It's the end of hot season, the beginning of rainy season, and so it's warm, uh, the, it's humid, unpleasant. We had a layover in New York. New York in February is cold. There was snow. Right? The people in the terminal there were dressed with winter coats. They had hats and scarves and gloves. We didn't have those things. We were wearing lightweight clothing. We didn't have jackets. Because New York was not our final destination. We were passing through. We didn't give much thought to New York. We were focused on Malawi. We need to constantly, deliberately set our minds on the things that are above. And if you do that, then handling life with cancer won't be a problem. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's uncomfortable. But it's not that big of a deal. I can live without a jacket in an airport terminal. But if you don't fight to keep your mind on the things above, then this earth will naturally pull your thoughts back down here. And you will live like this is your final destination. You will start camping out in the airport lounge. Don't camp out in the airport lounge. Set your minds on the things above. Let's pray. Father, this is a serious thing. As the song goes, we are are prone to wander, prone to leave the God that we love. Our Our hearts are naturally inclined to wander. And we pray that not only would we be aware of this, but we would fight to have it not be that way. That we would fight to find time in your word. That we would fight to pray. That we would fight to keep our thoughts and minds focused on the things that are above. So that we may flee from sin. So that we may live lives that honor and glorify you regardless of the circumstances that we are in. May you be honored and glorified by our lives. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.